Pompeii. This is Lane Yerrick, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this week's message. Well, hey, today uh, I want to I want to jump into a message entitled. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm jumping way ahead. I want to jump into a message entitled "Promise Keeping." But uh, last week we had mentioned we talked about promise making and kind of the big idea around this talk, both this week, last week, and even some of what we're going to be discussing next week is is really in a hope and in an effort to help us kind of renew our minds to pursuing healthy relationships. Come on, you, you and I know this, and we experience this, especially just in the last year, that your relationships, they determine the direction and the quality of your life. And so when we don't have them, sometimes that can be good, certain relationships, but when we also don't have other healthy relationships, sometimes it kind of causes us to go in a, in a bad direction, to kind of go in a, in a bad spiral. And, and we discussed last week that there's about 35 to 50% of all relationships relationships end up failing. This is both marriages and in friendships. Like this is just a fact of life, but but we just we shouldn't accept it as a fact of life. Especially not within the church. And by the church, I don't mean within the four walls of a church building per se, but rather within the church, meaning the body of Jesus, the people of God. Like we, we sort of just allow our relationships to look like every other relationship in the world. And I want to encourage us not, not to do that, not to treat relationships so just so, so flippantly. Because we mentioned this last week, but if I were to tell you today that when you left church that, that you were going to go eat lunch, there's a 35% chance there's rat poison in your meal. You'd probably say, you know what, I'm feeling really spiritual today, and I think I'm going to fast. I'm, today's the day. I'm going to start fasting right now, like, or I'm going to diet today, right? Like, or if I told you that when you left church and you were going to drive home, there's a 50% chance you're going to get into a car accident and die, you'd say, today's the day where, like, my steps really are really important to me. Like, I'm going to get my 10,000 steps today, right? Like, I'm going to walk. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drive. We just, we sort of just accept this to be true, and yet I think it's a frustrating thing, and it's an unfortunate thing, and, and I want us to lean in and kind of renew our mind, but like, no, no, relationships are important. They're really important to God, and God actually has a lot to say about what it looks like to live in healthy community and to pursue healthy relationships. And so we, so we entitled this series Promises because we're talking about what it looks like to create some healthy relational promises. I'm just kind of catch you up. If you weren't here last week or maybe if you just forgotten, I know nobody ever forgets what's said at church on Sunday mornings. So I know that's not you, that's other churches, but not here. But, but the word promise comes from the Latin word prometeer. If it, if it helps you any bit, I forget what I said last week. So this is a good review for me. And this is from, comes from the Latin word prometeer. Pro meaning forward and mater meaning to send. So in other words, a promise is a declaration I make now that's going to be needed in the future. Like I don't, I, don't need, I don't necessarily need the promise now. Why? Because I like you. Because we're getting along. Because I love you even. Because things are good. But, but I make a promise because I anticipate that there's going to come some bumps in the road, that I'm not always going to feel like liking you, I'm not always going to feel like loving you, and so I'm throwing this promise out there, if you will, knowing that there's going to come a point where I'm going to need to lean on that, on that promise. So again, last week, we, we spoke from the four relationally healthy promises that we're making to one another. Not just to those within, you know, the area in which you're seated right now, or, or to the people that you're with watching online, but, but we're making these promises to our, to our coworkers, to our employees, to our bosses, to our children, to our parents. We're, we're making these promises so that we can pursue healthy relationships, so that we're not just another statistic, and so that we can actually show the world what it looks like to live in unity. 
Because it's the most attractive thing when people see, like, wow, you guys get along, yet you vote different, you look different, you even act a little different, you, there's even some nuances about your faith and your theology that's a little bit different, and yet it feels like you guys are living on mission because the one commonality you have is Jesus, that's the only thing that matters, and so I want to be a part of that. Like that John 17, this is a little side note, John 17, Jesus actually says that the most attractive thing about you will be your unity. In fact, Jesus is praying this prayer just before he gets to the cross. He's like, look, Father, I just pray that people would just get along. Like they would just, that my church would be united. They would be one just as you, are, you and I are one. And then when they do, the world's going to know, wow, like I, that's, that's special right there. I, I like that. I, I, want, I want some of what they had. So we concluded last week by saying, in order for our relationships to work, we got to let the one who designed them, we got to let him, we got to let him define them. So we're going to move a little bit further today, talk about promise keeping. And I'm going to give us three promises today that I, that I hope will help us individually. These are personal promises we're making to ourselves, okay? So everybody say, this is for me. This is for me, all right? Say, it's not for you. To come on, elbow the person, elbow your, elbow the friend next to you. It's not for you, it's for me, right? Okay, all right. This is, this is, this is for me. The first promise I'm making to myself is, if, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. I think it's going to help us, I really do. I promise that I'm going to respond, not react. And all of the women who have husbands said, Amen. Okay, but hold on. But it's not for it's not for them. It's for you. Okay, it's for you. But I need this because the, my, my natural personality, my natural propensity is to react, not to respond. In fact, my wife discovered this about three or four, maybe five months into our marriage. We were actually in Pennsylvania, in my hometown, just outside of Philadelphia, PA, West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground. Grandma spent most of my days. True story. And and it was written about me. But um. Just kidding. Well, like I needed to even say I was just kidding. Like somebody was like, really? Wow. Dude. Oh, he's kidding. Okay. Well, whoo. So, but we were, we were, we were going to a wedding, a friend of mine from high school. And, and so we, so we're at the ceremony and the reception is about 15 minutes away. And so, so my wife and I are driving in our vehicle. My best friend from high school, he's, he's in the back seat and we're driving through the city. And I noticed up ahead, there was some, there was two kids on this walking bridge. It kind of took you from the sidewalk on this side of the street to the other side. Right. And, and I noticed that they were throwing, it's middle of the winter, they're throwing snowballs, which really at this time of the year were like ice balls at some of the vehicles who were driving underneath this little walking bridge. Not cool. Like, not cool. Something I would have done in high school, but not cool. So, so you should not do that, right? Like, before Jesus, I did stupid stuff. And then after Jesus, I still do stupid stuff. And, and, but, but I noticed them, and we're kind of in conversation, though, and, and sure enough, as soon as I get underneath this walking bridge, I hear this loud bang on the hood of our car. And instantly, of course, I knew what it was. And so I did like this cool, like Fast and the Furious park job and parallel parked it. Like I think I did a 180. I did a 180, turned the whole car around. I did not do a 180, but I think that's what I remember doing. She doesn't remember that, but her memory is not as good as mine. And so I, I parked the car and without saying a word, I just ran out of the vehicle, chased after these two kids as fast as I could, full suit, nice dress shoes, headed up the steps of the walkway, it's all ice, I slip, bang my shin on the concrete, pretty sure it was a lesson about re reacting and not responding, but as I start walking back to the vehicle, 
my, my friend, Travis, he's like outside of the car now, just kind of staring at me. He's a little bit more chill than I am. And he's like, so, like, you didn't get him? And I was like, no, no, I did not. I get back in the car, and Courtney has this look, of which up to this point in our relationship, I had not seen this look before. And she had this look. She, she leans, looks over at the car. She's like, what were you going to do? I was like, baby, I didn't think that through. Like, clearly, I didn't have time to think. I just ran, you know? She's like, so, so you thought it was okay to, like, leave your wife in a city that I'm unfamiliar with in this car, and you're just going to chase after two kids. You thought that was okay. I was like, well, now I don't, but... But obviously, at the time, I did, right? Like, we, it's, it's natural. Like, we just, men especially, but, but all of us, we, we have the, we kind of have this propensity within all of us to just kind of react rather than thinking, like, wisely, like, what, what, what would Jesus do right now? Like, what, how should I respond in this moment? You've probably heard this before, but life is about 10% what happens to me. And, like, it's really, in large part, 90% of, you know, just how I respond to it. And, and in fact, Right now, we, we live in, in this like, reaction-driven culture. Like, we just react to stuff. Like, you don't have to look any further than, than Facebook. Like, we just react without even thinking about. In fact, can, can I encourage you with something? This is something I started implementing a while, a while ago, and it's really helped me. It really has. I, I want to help you. I want to give you something natural here, make this real practical. But, but, but whenever I'm about to respond to something, and I think it's a response, I wait 24 hours before posting it. So I think, okay, is this 24 hours? I'm telling you, more than half of what I was reacting to, I chose not to even respond to after 24 hours. Like, we, we got to think. Church, listen to me, Ethos. We got to take personal responsibility and say, look, people are giving Jesus a bad name. Like, can I just kind of sit on this for a little bit? Like, we're, we're giving Jesus, and social media is like, the, it's the biggest culprit of it. Like, you got to think about, hey, face-to-face conversations, appropriate. Behind digital screens, most of the time, it's inappropriate. Like, unless we have something positive to say, it just doesn't go anywhere. My brother-in-law, Jordan, he, he said this years ago, and, and I thought this was so clever. Yeah, his name is Jordan, and yeah, that causes lots of confusion in our family. But, but, but he said this years ago, he said, you know, nobody's ever won an argument on Facebook before. Never happened. Like you, it's a lose-lose situation because oftentimes what it creates within us is the propensity to react rather than to respond. Look at what, look at what Peter says about Jesus. He says, Jesus, he, he didn't retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered, but rather he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He just said, you know what? I'm not going to react to this right now. i got all sorts of emotions right now. I'm going to just leave this up. I'm going to leave this up to God. Because Paul goes on a little bit further, and I love this. This is beautiful. He says, don't, don't be overcome by evil. Just, just learn, like, recognize, respond in such a way that you realize that we've got to overcome evil. We've got to overcome evil with good. The second promise that we've got to make to ourselves is I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. I'm going to focus on the good stuff about other people, not just the bad stuff. Like, I'm going to lean in. You know that, you know that really famous scripture, or rather, rather that famous chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 13? Like, if you've ever been to a wedding before, you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it read before. It's the, it's the love chapter. And right, right at the beginning of that, in verse 5, the author, Paul, is writing, talks about what love is, and he says, he says, love does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and here's the kicker, it just doesn't keep record of wrongs. Like, that's just, that's what love 
does, or rather we should say it's what love doesn't do. This week as I was kind of preparing for this talk, and I had this finished a couple weeks ago, but I was just reviewing, I, I began to think as I came across this point once again, like what would it look like if we stopped keeping record of wrongs, but we started keeping record of rights? Like what, what, what would that do in our relationships? Like how would that change our marriages? How would that change our, our friendships? What if we began to teach our, our kids how to keep record of rights rather than, yep, they didn't treat you fairly there. Yep, they definitely miss you. They definitely used you there. Yep, they definitely abused you there. But what if we said, yeah, but what about all the amazing things that, that, they, that they've done? Like you, you, ever, you, ever, you ever recognize or realize maybe you've heard before that opposites attract? Like when you're dating, Come on, opposites attract. Like how many, I see your hand if you're married in here, because I see your hand. Put your hands up real high if you're married in here. Come on, keep it up. Be proud. Yep, there you go. There you go. Okay, now all the single people look around, see what you're working with again. Come on, I'll give you an opportunity here. See what you're working with, see what you're not. There you go. And yeah, when you're dating, opposites attract. I heard this old time preacher, he said one time, he said, yeah, when you're dating, opposites attract, but when you're married, man, opposites attack. Come on. Like, we're not a perfect church, but we're an honest church. Like, Courtney and I could not be more opposite. Like, if you know us, and the closer you get to us, the more you realize, wow, you guys are really different. Yes, we are really, like, I'm extreme extroverted. She's, she's extreme introverted when she's hot. I'm cold when she wants to discipline the kids. I want to have grace on them. She loves the beach. I love the mountains. Like, we are just two different people. We go on a honeymoon. We are on our honeymoon, like, married for, like, 24 hours. And I'm like, so, where's the adventure? What are we going to do? Like, let's go for a hike. Let's go kayaking. She's like, I just sort of want to lay on the beach. I sort of really want to do anything. I'm like, all week? No, just give me a couple days. You know, like three or four days pass. I'm like, so, you ready? You want to go? Let's go do something. She's like, I just could use some more relaxing. Let's go. Let's go do something, babe. We got to go. We got, we got things to do, people to see. Like, she's like really relaxed. And she's like, baby, it's okay. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. And I'm like, no. If we left, then it's time to get there now. So, like, whoever's in our way, we're just going to have to pass them fast, right? Like, in, in fact, in fact, we were, I, I got her permission to share this story, by the way, so it's going to be a good day in the Smucker home today, okay? But, but a couple years ago, we were coming home, and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. I forget where we were coming from, but the kids were sleeping in the back of the car, and so I carried them into their beds and not even realizing that by the time I got them in bed, Courtney was like already in bed. Like she's like ready to go to sleep. And, and I'm like, man, I gotta go get the luggage out of the car still. So I get the luggage and, and I like to put stuff away immediately. And whereas she's like, we can do it tomorrow. We can, that'd be fine there tomorrow. I'm like, why? Why wouldn't you just do it now? Well, because it's 3 a.m., babe. It's three o'clock in the morning. And so that's why we shouldn't do it now. Yeah. But like then tomorrow we're going to have to do it. So why not just do it now? So she's literally in bed. I'm putting away all of the luggage and she's going to ignore me. She's like, can you turn the light off? And I'm like, no, I got to put this stuff away. She's like, can you be quiet? I'm like, no, I got to put this stuff away. Can you help? Can you help me put this stuff away? And I'm like, and still to this day, like in our marriage, like that's like a little bit of a, ten, like a point of contention for us. She's like, she's like, hey, babe, can you just relax? chill out, like, it'll be there an hour from now, we can handle it then, and I'm like, no, no, it will be there an hour from now, which is why we should handle it now, you know, and so she gets annoyed with me, I get annoyed with her, but here's the thing, like, we could, we could, if we wanted to, we could, we could probably talk about the three, four, five things that annoy us about one another, and she probably has about 12 that annoy her about me, and I've got, like, three that annoy me about her, because she is a much better person than I am, but but, but, but the reality is that there's like 80 things I could list off that she does amazing, 
And, and I'm pretty sure she could tell you at least 15 that I do really well too. <laughs> and so you have to make a choice. Like, I'm going I'm to focus on the good. And, and of course, we talked about that in reference to our marriages, but this applies in every single relationship rather than focusing on the bad. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He says, fix your thoughts on, on what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent. Think about these things that are excellent and that are worthy of praise. And then the, the third promise that we're making to, to ourselves individually is, I promise to talk, not to walk. Like, I, I promise that we're going to talk through this I'm not just going to walk away from this. This is, this is probably the point today that's most indicative of the culture in which we live. Like we, we are just dead set today on just walking away from difficult conversations rather than leaning into them, recognizing, no, no, this is a relationship that's important. And I'm not just going to sweep this under the rug. I'm not just going to let this go by its wayside. We're going to talk through this in a healthy way, in a way that's honoring to God, in a way that's honoring to the person whom I'm having the conversation with. Can I, just, can I just brag on some folks for just a moment? Just last Wednesday, we concluded a, a six-week study group called Undivided that we're going to be doing again in the fall. And it's all in an effort to create racial solidarity, to have conversations about race and what that looks like and how we can be a part of the solution, not the problem. So we have about 27 people from Ethos who, who joined that study group every Wednesday night for two hours from 7 to 9 p.m., just concluded this past, this past Wednesday night. And the whole point is, hey, we're not going to walk away from the tough conversation. We're going to lean into them. We're going to talk and not walk. We're not going to take our cue from culture. We're going to take our cue from Jesus. And I think this applies in every area of our life, not just with race, not just with some of the even more challenging, difficult uh, issues that we face in our country or in our world today or even in our own backyard, but I'm talking about just practically. As parents, we're going we're gonna to talk to our kids, not just walk away from them. Kids, we're going to talk to our parents, not just walk away from them. Spouse, friends, coworkers, like this is, this is huge. Like this is a really big deal today. But can I also just say, this is something that Courtney and I have, have had to discover in our relationship I like to talk about things like right now in the moment, and it just frustrates her to no end, but frustrates me to no end because she wants to walk away from it, but she's not walking away from the conversation. She just, she needs some time to process it so that she doesn't react, so that she does respond in wisdom. And so we've just made this agreement, okay, then you tell me when you're ready to talk. And I trust that she's going to bring the conversation back up in the right time, and she has to trust that I'm not going to keep hounding her, even though most of the time I do. Can we talk now? No. Can we talk now? No. Can we talk now? No. <laughs> you know? And, but like, but there's a commitment, though. We're going to talk. We're not, we're not just going to walk away. Friends, listen to me. You got to do that. Like today, we are so easily offended today. Like you're going to make the decision, no, I'm going to be hard to offend. So when somebody lets me down, when somebody doesn't live up to my expectations, I, I'm going to feel comfortable to have the conversation with them, but I'm not just going to walk away and harbor that bitterness from them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says like this, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one, we're all members of one body. So in your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold in your life. When we walk away, what are we doing? We're giving our enemy a foothold. 
We're allowing him to kind of dig that root of bitterness deeper into the soil of our heart rather than saying, no, I'm going to pluck that out when the thing starts as a tiny weed because when we don't talk about it, next thing you know, that thing becomes an oak tree. And we're like, man, now it's so hard to get out. And it requires professional counseling and therapy to get out. And, but if we just decide that we're going to talk about it rather than walking away from it, we can avoid so much frustration later on in our life. Now, now, now just hang with me for just a moment because I'm going to go through what I'm about to say here in just a moment pretty, pretty quickly. So if you are taking notes, you're going to have to write some stuff down pretty quick. But as I, was, as I was going through my notes this week in preparation for today, I... I just wasn't, something within me just didn't feel like the message was complete. And, and that was actually the original end of it. And there was a little bit more to it, but I took some out of it for the sake of time. And I just kept feeling like I was supposed to come back to it. Like, Lord, what do you, what do you want to do here? Sometimes you just have that unsettledness in you where you're like, eh, it's not done. For me, it might be about a message. For me, it might be about a conversation. For me, it might be about something else going on in the world. That's something, something I need to stay engaged just a little bit longer. Whenever you feel that, my encouragement to you would be like, stay engaged with that a little bit longer. Don't just walk away from it and say, ah, oh, it's good enough. No, no, no. Maybe the Lord's wanting to do something in you and through you in that moment. And that's the way in which he speaks and gives you these, these impressions on the inside of you. And I just felt like he was saying, Jordan, what you're talking about here is it's good, but you're kind of just encouraging everybody to try harder do better, like have more faith. And ultimately, whenever we try harder, do better, have more faith, we inevitably fail again. Like we inevitably don't live up to those promises. And it just began to dawn on me. In fact, as I started thinking about these three things, I promise I'm going to respond and not react. I promise to focus on the good, not the bad. I promise to talk and not walk. They're all very practical. I think if we wrote them down, reviewed them every so often, they would help in all of our relationships, no doubt. But I, but I began to realize that what we really need is God's strength in our life. What we really need is God's ability within us to stay true to these promises. So that we don't just say, oh, that's too hard, I failed again, throw in the towel, not going to try anymore. Or you know what, maybe I'm just going to try harder, I'm going to do better. And we start to kind of feel this, this certain degree of condemnation in our life because we're continually let down. Here, let, me, let me say it like this, let me explain it like this. Here's what the brother of Jesus says in James chapter 4. He says, listen, God gives grace generously. Just as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. Everybody say grace. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. The best definition I ever heard of grace that just applies everywhere I see that term, that word in the scripture, is God's ability to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Grace is God's ability to do for you and to do through you what you can't do all on your own. And what we need when it comes to these promises in order to pursue healthy relationships in our life, in our church, in our world, is we need God's grace to help us, to give us the ability to actually follow through these things. And so I began to think, how do we apply God's grace as it relates to every single one of these promises? And here's, here's what I discovered. So where can we, what can we lean into so we can experience this grace? First thing is, when we recognize we need to respond and not react, the grace that you need in your life to become a responder and not a reactor is you need to realize we got to first acknowledge our own mistakes. There is grace that God gives you when you recognize who you are without Jesus. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says everybody, everyone has sinned. We've all, all of us, nobody's exempt from this. We all fall short of God's glory, or in other words, we all fall short of God's standard. In fact, I love what the Apostle Paul, who is the author of about two-thirds, the newer portion of our Bible called the New Testament, I love what he says in 1 Timothy. Listen to this. This guy, of all people, think about the fact that Paul, first and foremost, is probably one of the top five most influential leaders ever, not just Christian leaders, in the history of the world, Paul still influences right now. He's influencing us even today. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Paul's like, yo, like, I'm kind of like the chief of them all. Like, we're not used to this. We're, we're, we're just... This is kind of like way off of our radar. Like this is kind of like way off of our map. Like we're just not used to somebody like Paul who has such extreme confidence in Jesus, yet also extreme humility to say, Jesus, like I'm, I'm just the worst. Now think what gave Paul the ability to do all that Paul did that still influences all of our lives to this day is the fact that he was willing to acknowledge his own mistakes. He was like, hey, look, I got skin in the game too. So if we're going to respond and not just react, the people that we're about to react to, we gotta realize like, wow, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not any better than they are anyway. Like, like without Jesus, I'm, 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 the chi- like I'm the chief of all of them. Like I'm the worst of the worst. In fact, as we, as we kind of go a little bit further, if we're gonna focus on the good, not the bad, we gotta learn to abandon our right to get even. Like, no, like, this is coming back to that whole scorecard. Like we, what would it look like if we stopped keeping score of all the wrongs and we began to keep score of all the rights? Like what would it look like if we stopped in our relationships, if we stopped trying to get even all the time? Like look at what Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says. It says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it's written, it's mine to avenge. Look, look, at, what, look at what God says. says. I'll repay, but just let go. Like I've... I've got this. Like, like, I'll take care of this thing for you. So in all of our striving, in all of our effort to get even, God's like, hey, don't worry about trying to get even. I, I got this. And there's a grace that you will experience in your life when you stop trying to fight every battle on your own. When you stop feeling that incessant desire within you to always be right, which, listen to me, church, listen to me. This right here, this is the hardest one for me. I'm a very competitive person. And as a result, like, I always want to be right. Like, it's just, truth be told, full transparency, cards face up. Like, sometimes it's hard for me to abandon. And, but I'll tell you what, man, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever experienced is when I've just said, Lord, like, I'm not going to fight this. Like, this is your battle, not mine. It's in those moments I begin to experience, literally, I, can, I begin to sense God's strength. I begin to see him doing the miracle in my life or in that situation or in that relationship that I could have never done. I could have never done on my own. I want us to look what Eugene Peterson, see how Eugene Peterson translated Romans chapter 12 in the message translation. He says it like this. He says, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. He says, I'll do the judging, says God. I'll, let me, I'll take care of it. So then again, lastly, right here, the last one, we talked about talking 
not walking, if we're going to learn to talk, not walk, the grace that we need to stay true to this promise is found when we begin to apply God's grace to others. I, I think this is, this was probably most near and dear to me. The other one, the last one was the most challenging for me, but this one's most near and dear to me. Applying grace, applying God's grace to other people. Like you're looking at somebody who, who is completely unworthy. Like I, I don't deserve like anything that I have in my life. Like I don't deserve the friends I have. I don't deserve the wife I have. I don't deserve the kids I have. I don't deserve to be on this platform. Like I don't, I don't deserve this awesome community I get to be a part of. Like I say it all the time. I think people think I'm joking. Like I don't care what part I play. I just thankful I get to be a part. Like I don't, I just, I realize I don't deserve this. Like I don't deserve love from God. Like it's so, so in some ways, like this one's kind of easy for me because I've just, I've realized like, like God, you've given me so much. Like I, 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 I can't help but want to just apply grace to other people. Like we got, and when we do, when we, when we offer and extend forgiveness to others, God says, ooh, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you a grace so you can engage in the conversations that's most necessary. And when you do, we're extending that grace to others that you want extended to yourself. Like it just, we realize, like, church, listen, grace isn't fair. You, you want fair? You want fair? F fair would be that you got to pay for the penalty of your sin. I I'm thankful that God is not fair. And so when it comes to applying grace to other people, you, you don't have to do it when things are now fair. Do you hear me? Like, you, no, no. You want God's grace in your life? You apply God's grace to other people when things aren't fair. And that's when you're going to see the greatest degree of grace. I'm telling you, I've experienced it. I'm telling you, I feel like I experience it now. I'm just, we got to learn to apply God's, it's God's grace. Look at what Tim Keller said, one of my favorite authors. He, he says, when we grasp that we are unworthy sinners, saved by an infinitely costly grace, a grace that went all the way to the cross, it destroys both our self-righteousness and our need to ridicule others. I am so tired of hearing people talk about people that they don't even know. Like, can we, can we all just admit, like, there's people, there's people in government. You don't know them. So let's stop talking poorly about them. And let's insist on praying for them. Because talk is cheap. But prayer changes things. Like, we, we, like this, is, this is it, guys. Like when we realize the grace that we've been given, we, we stop feeling this, this need to kind of ridicule everybody as if we're trying to pull them down to our level and pull us up to their level. It's like, you know, blowing somebody else's candle out never makes your candle brighter. Like let's, let's apply some grace to other people. Let's recognize that I'm the chief of all sinners. Let's, let's realize that, hey, I'm no better than the rest of them. Without Jesus, I've got nothing. We need God's grace in our life. We need God's grace in our relationships. I'm closing right here, but as Jesus went to the cross, he's hanging on the cross. He said these words, Father, forgive all these people, these people who are, who are doing to me right now what I'm experiencing. Forgive them. Forgive them because they don't know. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. A couple years ago, I was reading this and I was like, Lord, I don't understand that at all. Like, what do you mean they didn't know? Like, I, I'm pretty sure they clearly knew what they were doing. Like, I'm pretty sure it was an intentional decision to put you on that cross. And I just felt kind of impressed. Like, like he said, 
Jordan, Jesus loves people for who they are, not for what they do. Like he sees deeper beneath the deeds and the behavior of people. He kind of sees on the inside, like, oh, that's somebody who's been made in my Father's image. So therefore, I love them. And I, and I began to realize that most of us spend our entire lives avoiding the kinds of people that Jesus spent his whole life forgiving. Like we walk away, and Jesus is like, oh, I just, I just keep applying grace to him. And forgiveness, it's, it's not always easy depending on the offense. Sometimes it takes some time to mourn and grieve and lament what's been done to us. But when we forgive, we realize that, oh, like I thought I was holding something against you by not forgiving you, when in reality I was holding something against myself. There's a freedom found in forgiveness. When we begin to apply grace to other people's lives, God's grace on their lives, we begin to experience that freedom that we're meant to walk in. We, we begin to feel like there's a burden that's been, that's been lifted of us.